0: Well, today is going to be a little bit of a mixture. We, I'll tell you what you can get out. Uh, get out the book of Esther. Esther. Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah. Esther, Job. King's Kings Chronicles Chronicles. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And chapter 4 of the book of Esther. We look at that in a moment. You know, I believe it's our duty, as we seek to do, as you probably know, to present various events happening in the world, and particularly in churches, and that it's important for us to know what's going on and what's happening. And you know, that's why Jude Wrote his letter in the New Testament. Jude wrote and he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that's the salvation which is common to all men, available to all men, it's the same salvation for all men, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know, that delivered faith, as Jude talks about it, it was so cherished and maintained by the saints of old, all right down through the ages, at times by the very blood of the martyrs. That faith is being watered down little by little, melting like ice in the snow, in the sun today in Christendom the birds of the air or as Jesus said Satan's emissaries resting in the branches of those various churches are picking out any good seed remaining and slowly the leaven of evil of what remains is spreading its error and it's leading us Into or back into the Church of Rome and a one world church. Now, I know I say this quite often, but I think it's worth repeating these type of things. You know, it's widespread. This type of thing is widespread. We have all this saddleback church and the purpose driven churches, all that doctrine that's been churned out. Many churches here in the British Isles accept all this. We have publishers recognize publishers producing books which are not right. Zonder, Zondervan publishers are very well-known publishers. They promote this. InterVarsity Press, the Willow Creek Church and Moody Bible Institute. They promote a lot of this false teaching. Who would have ever thought that Moody Bible Institute would have gone this way? You know, They have these labyrinths, these kind of mazes that they have in old medieval churches and elsewhere. And on Songs of Praise, just a few months ago, they had a a labyrinth featured on Songs of Praise. It's It's a pagan sort of practice, walking through this thing. And in the end, you're supposed to have this experience of God. We have communion services now in various churches To the music of U2 and some other of these pop groups. It's widespread. All this is happening. Last week we looked at some verses in Deuteronomy chapter 13. We saw how severe God was with people who seek to bring in false teaching. God said, kill them. They have to be stoned. One today just to give you a couple of definitions. The two things which embodies all this kind of teaching, contemplative spirituality and a thing called spiritual formation. Now these are widespread, as I say. Contemplative contemplative spirituality is a belief system that uses ancient mystical practices to induce altered states of consciousness, the silence, and is rooted in mysticism and the occult, but often wrapped in Christian terminology. The premise of contemplative spirituality is pantheistic, that God is all, and panentheistic is God is in all those two concepts, God is all and God is in all, I've spoken about this before and then the thing called spiritual formation it's a movement that has provided a platform or a channel through which contemplative prayer is entering the church find spiritual formation being used and in nearly every case you will find contemplative spirituality, in fact content of spirituality and it is the heartbeat the thing that makes spiritual formation tick the two interrelating concepts are sweeping through evangelical churches you know Paul warned us that teachers of falsehood would invade the church sadly we see the enemies of the cross are still increasing activity, still in the guise of wolves in sheep's clothing. Now you may say, oh well, it won't affect us, but it does affect all churches unless they are aware of what's happening. I'd also stress that many of those I mentioned today are being accepted by the evangelical churches in various degrees or varying degrees the man called Alan Jones and part of all this error that's coming in is the thing called the emerging church they have very strange beliefs but they are being accepted along with this contemplative spirituality and spiritual formation and here's what he says listen the church's fixation on the death of Jesus as the universal saving act must end And the place of the cross must be reimagined in Christian faith. Why? Because of the cult of suffering and the vindictive God behind it. And again he says, The other thread of just criticism addresses the suggestion implicit in the cross that Jesus' sacrifice was to appease an angry God. Penal substitution... The message of the cross, which we preach, penal substitution was the name of this vile doctrine. And you know, Steve Chalk, he's he a Baptist minister, he, he has this theory as well. And we had that man, Jeffrey uh, Johns, the Dean of St. Albans, he said that this doctrine of the cross of Jesus Christ. He didn't agree with it, said it makes God sound like a psychopath. The whole thing, the whole doctrine of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ is under attack. Here's something else, a man called Don Miller. For me, the beginning of sharing my faith with people began by throwing out Christianity and embracing Christian spirituality, a non-political, mysterious system that can be experienced, but not explained. A man called Leonard Sweet, he says, new life embodiment means to be in connection and information with other faiths. One can be a faithful disciple of Jesus without denying the flickers of the sacred in followers of Kali or Krishna. Kali is the goddess that blood sucking goddess of Calcutta Hinduism Rick Warren says I happen to know people who are followers of Christ in other religions and he has a following of hundreds of thousands of pastors throughout the world now there's a man called Thomas Merton or there was a man called Thomas Merton and he was a contemplative. He had this idea of praying, as do the, the, the Buddhists and the, the Hindus, a contemplative prayer type of individual. He's much vaunted by Rick Warren and others, and Kay Warren recommends his books, Warren's Wife, and he could say, I see no contradiction between Buddhism and Christianity. I intend to become as good a Buddhist as I can. And he is promoted by these publishers and his books are being read in places where you would least expect it. Another man, Peter Kreeft. Allah is not another God, we worship the same God, the same God, the very same God we worship in Christ is the God of the Jews and the Muslims. Those are people who are being accepted in many churches today. But there's a woman called Alice Bailey, an occultist. And she was the one actually who coined the phrase, the new age. She was actually the one who who sort of coined that phrase, new age. And she has some rare insights into this. I would point out that when I use the phrase followers of Christ I refer to all those who love their fellow men irrespective of creed or religion. She puts forward this theory that followers of the Christ are just all good people. And other organizations are bringing in concepts which are also creeping into the church. There's an organisation called the World Commission on Global Consciousness and Spirituality. And here's what they say. They all believe that there's a kind of an awakening throughout the world of some kind of religious consciousness. And we see this. When we see fellows like Tony Blair going to going to speak and lecture on religion and Christianity, the whole concept is strange. But that's what's happening throughout the world. There's a consciousness Developing throughout the world which is affecting the churches as well. They say perhaps the single most powerful event facing humanity today is a great awakening on a planetary scale that has been millennia in the making. We humans are in the midst of a profound advance as a species to a higher form of global consciousness. Another fellow, Eckhart Tolle, has the same thing. About 10% of people in North America and Western Europe are already awakening. They're all being affected by whatever spirit is going around. This is probably enough of a critical mass to bring about a new earth. So the transformation of consciousness is truly happening. And this woman, Alice Bailey again, she's a theosophist. And she has a spirit guide, a spirit that teaches and guides her and dictates things to her, her evil woman is. But this spirit guide dictated this to her. The ushering in of the new world order will gather into its ranks all men of peace and goodwill, the embodiment of the emerging kingdom of God on earth. And that's what all these churches are trying to do they're trying to form the kingdom of God on earth trying to get the world a better place because Jesus is coming back and what about Rick Warren's global peace plan this spirit speaking through Alice Bailey said it will gather into its ranks all men of peace and goodwill Listen to what scripture says. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's what's happening. Satan has the whole world under his sway. And Jesus said, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Take heed that the light that is in you is not darkness. You know, there's a whole new concept in missions a whole new what they call missiology around now they tell people that it is not necessary to leave your old religion just add belief in Jesus onto it and this this is not just here and there it's becoming more prevalent people like Waiwam youth with a mission and those kind of people have this kind of theology now. There's a man called Roger Oakland who who writes a lot on these subjects, and I'm gonna read out what he says. He says My concern lies with the way missions is changing and how the gospel is being presented. To say that someone does not have to leave their pagan religion behind, and in fact they don't have to even stop calling themselves Hindu or Muslim, is not presenting the teachings of the Bible. And the Apostle Paul, who ended up dying for his faith, exhorted believers to be willing to give up all for the sake of following Jesus Christ. I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The implications of this new missiology are serious and what's more, very unbiblical. So, with Rick Warren saying your religion should have no bearing on your spiritual life, Erwin McManus saying he would like to destroy Christianity, and missionary societies telling new converts that they can have Jesus without Christianity or baptism, the result could be devastating and will very likely undo the tireless efforts of many dedicated missionaries around the world. These Bible-believing missionaries have risked their lives and given up comforts and ease to travel around the world sharing the good news that becoming a Christian, having Jesus Christ come into your heart and life, is the way to eternal life. Now, right behind them come emerging church missionaries who say Christianity is a terrible religion and Christians are out to lunch, so just become a Christ follower. Christ follower that's what they keep on talking about now and you don't even have to tell anyone about it, in fact you can still live as like you always have to the many who have suffered persecution and martyrdom over the centuries for being Christians and being courageous enough to call themselves that we now must believe they suffered and died unnecessarily after all They did not need to confess Jesus as the only way, and they didn't need to renounce their pagan religions. The uniqueness, and that's the end of the quotation, the uniqueness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is under attack from all quarters. We are soldiers and we must fight for the truth. It's serious. And like go on and on and on, but you hear enough from me about those kinds of things. You know, we did a tape some time ago about Easter and all the the, the trappings that have been added on to Easter. And one of the, the, the points we made out in that tape was the fact that Jesus was crucified at Passover time. Jesus was crucified when it was Passover. But, you know, they, they came along and they changed all the dates. And now we do not... Uh, Worship the the, the time of the crucifixion at Passover time. Why not? Why not? And in fact, I was looking at the dates this year, and it's interesting that this weekend, well, Friday and Saturday of just past, the Feast of Purim took place in the Jewish calendar. The The Feast of Purim. Festival of Deliverance was held on the 21st and 22nd of March this year. And that, if you go back down now to the book of Esther, I'm sure you all know the story of Esther. The observance by the Jews of the fast of Esther, which precedes the festival of Purim, began on Thursday, Thursday morning and ended at sundown after the reading of the scroll of Esther towards the end of evening prayers in the synagogues. Passover this year is not until the 20th of April, from the 20th to the 26th of April it's Passover. So again, we must beg the question, why do we not celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection at the time of Passover? Well, that's just a point. The Feast of Pur, which is celebrated because of what happened in the Book of Esther. Mordecai was her uncle, Esther was a Jewess who was the Queen. For a long time, she kept the fact hidden. Actually, her name apparently means hidden. And there was a a, a man in the court called Haman who was a wicked man who hated the Jews. He hated Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't bow and scrape to him. And that annoyed Haman. So Haman decided that he would erect a gallows for for Mordecai and that he would take out action against all the Jews and he persuaded the king to issue a decree which couldn't be changed to issue a decree that all the Jews were to be slaughtered on a particular day and that's the story Mordecai heard about this and he was in sackcloth and ashes and in chapter 4 you'd see that he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went into the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice. In fact, he made himself very objectionable as far as everybody was concerned uh, in the palace. And he went to the king's gate. Well, to go to the king's gate, uh, to be even have a of face in front of the king, was uh, you could be, have your head removed very quickly. He went into the king's gate and clothed with sackcloth. And there was great weeping amongst all the Jews when they heard about this decree that they were all going to be uh, wiped out. And Esther's maids, they told her about Mordecai sitting outside the gate of the palace, and she was the queen inside. She was Jewish. She was Jewish. Nobody knew she was Jewish at that stage. So she did something which is... Very much what people do nowadays. There was a real spiritual problem here, but what did she do? She sent them out some more clothes. She just gave him the social gospel, but she didn't. She she didn't obey the message that he was going to bring to her. She thought the answer to this problem was to tell him to put on a, another suit of clothes and take off the, the sackcloth. And that's what happens these days. People have got involved in the social gospel, which in some places is very necessary, but it should come along hand in hand with the gospel of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. A transformation has to take place in people's lives, not just about putting them on new suits and things. But in any case, he sent a message to her, and he says, just because you're in the palace, don't think this decree doesn't apply to you. In fact, he says, you will be wiped out like the rest of us, because you're Jewish, And so he said to her, perhaps it's for this time that you were born. that's very thoughtful, isn't it? He says, if you don't do what God wants you to do, he'll get somebody else to do it. he had great faith, this man, Mordecai. All he had to do to stop the whole thing would have been to salute Haman as he went in and say, good morning. But he wouldn't do that because Haman was a wicked man. He was satanic. Well, he sent a message to Esther about the problem, and she says this is interesting, A thing I hadn't noticed before, Esther 4 verse 15 and 16 then Esther sent them back, sent her messengers back to Mordecai and said go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day I also and my maidens will fast in like manner, and then I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. She couldn't just go into the king whenever she felt like it, but she was prepared to lay down her life here and to fast for three days and three nights. You know, this weekend, the world, or perhaps more accurately, we hear it said that the Christian world is celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I heard it said, the Christian world. Now, that's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? How is the expression... It sadly fix, it fits in very well to what the Christians are like in the world, mostly, unfortunately. The Christian world's religions are so mixed up, as we've been saying. The system of religions is so distinct from the Church of Jesus Christ, the Bride of Christ. It's a vain attempt, uh, perhaps uh, unconsciously to combine two things which don't match the world and being a Christian You can't be a Christian and in the world at the same time and of the world at the same time true Christianity is not of this world so how can we combine the, the world and Christianity together and unfortunately that's what's happened it's sewing on a bit of new cloth onto an old garment. It's like putting new wine into old bottles. It won't work. Everything is lost as a result of it. And the world has been celebrating the birth, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For three days and for three nights our Lord was in the grave. But get back to Purim. How dark and dreadful those three days and three nights of fasting must have been for those Jews away back in the time of Esther. The future looked terrible for them the future looked blank the future for the Jews bowing under the load of the decree issued by that Jewish hating man Haman evil and his decree of death that's all that faced them that weekend and they decided they would fast and pray but how joyful it all must have been after those three long and fearful nights endured by Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish nation as they fasted and prayed they fasted and prayed three days and three nights and you know if you read on that story it's a jolly good story the scheming Haman he was hanged on his own gallows and the Jews were saved from annihilation it's a wonderful story of hope and the Jews from that time have been celebrating that feast ever since the feast of Purim and it's it's just strange that this particular weekend when we're celebrating the three days and three nights which our Lord was in the tomb they were fasting and celebrating that particular fast and time that the three days and three nights just a coincidence that happened this particular weekend but they they prayed and fasted for three days you know to a much greater degree how dark were those three long nights and three long days to the apostles and to the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ They had seen their master crucified, and laid in a tomb, and the tomb sealed up. How their hopes had faded. It is recorded that one of them said, and his his feelings must just have epitomized the feelings of everybody else, all the other followers. He said we had trusted that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yes, and also some of our women astounded us having been early at the tomb. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those with us went to the tomb and found it even as the women had said, but they did not see him. At that time, the cross was seen to them as the end of a dream. A symbol of a shattered hope. You know, over the last few days, they had seen the excitement and experienced the crowds as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. They'd heard the cries, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord all the excitement the thrill throwing their coats down waving palm trees and then a few days later they saw that same crowd as an angry mob, crying crucify him crucify him we'll not have this man to reign over us what a a week they had seen the mockery of the trial by their church leaders and the Roman authorities collaborating together a murderer had been released to the crowd instead of the one who went about doing good it had been a confusing time what mixed emotions they had felt from very highs to the lowest depths of despair. What they did not realize at the time, of course, was that the cross, where the precious blood of the Lamb of God was shed, when it was shed, when Jesus died on the cross, it rang out the death knell for Satan. Because of the cross, Satan was a defeated foe. Death had been swallowed up in victory. Sin and death and the grave had been defeated forevermore. From then on, from that time on, from the cross, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made those disciples... And millions more through the century since. It had made them free. From the law of sin and death. From then on these despondent believers. Would thank and praise God. Who would cause them to triumph in Christ. What a change. All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And these men can say that this cross. The message of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ should be done away with. It shows God as a psychopath. One who would believe later could write these words, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ you know these apparent weak and frightened disciples could from then on it says they could be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as they would know that their labour was not vain in the Lord it's going to change them they would hold forth the word of life and be prepared to suffer for their Lord. One of those who who followed Christ later could say and explain that he went on frequent journeys in dangers he had from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. He could say that I have been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things, there is the daily pressure. He had a concern, this man who wrote these, for the the churches. And he would go on to say, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But do not count them, but don't, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Yet another one would write, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. What made the change from frightened men and women huddled in an upper room to become soldiers? of Jesus Christ it was the message of a risen saviour whom God because he so loved the world had given he'd given his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that God had sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved that message which said that he that believeth on the Son of God is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he doesn't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And this message which they preached, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that message was spread around the world and is still being spread around the world in fact these men because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit were described by their enemies as men who have turned the world upside down how wonderful the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is The message of Passover was that the Lamb of God, the Lamb was slain and they were redeemed out of Egypt because the Lamb was slain. The message of the gospel is the Lamb of God. His blood was shed for you and for me and we can be redeemed through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can move from the kingdom of darkness. Into the kingdom of light. It's no wonder. It's no wonder. That Paul could say. God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beneath the cross of Jesus. I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock. Within a weary land. A home within a wilderness. A rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eyes, at time can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart, with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. I take, O cross, thy shadow For my abiding place I ask no other sunshine Than the sunshine of his face Content to let the world go by To know no gain or loss My sinful self, my only shame My glory, all the cross We're here to remember The very substitutionary death Of our Lord and Saviour that many today would have us abandoned. Jesus said, "Do this until I come. As often as you eat the bread and drink the wine, you show forth the Lord's death till he come." Oh man, it's quite happy to remember the, the birth of Jesus, but how do we remember it? Mainly with balloons and Christmas trees and Yule logs. And how does man, the Christian world even. We said it's a, it's, a, it's a contradiction in terms. The Christian world. How should the church remember? The church should remember Jesus Christ. In his death. In the drinking of the wine and eating the bread. But the world... The Christian world even remembers it with Easter bunnies, Easter eggs, hot cross buns. We are told to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread and the wine, symbols of his body, broken. Till he come, oh let the words. Linger on the trembling cold Let the little while between In their golden light be seen Let us think how heaven and home Lie beyond that till he come When the weary ones we love Enter on their rest above Seems the earth so poor and vast All our life joy overcast Hush, be every murmur done it is only till he come. Clouds and conflicts round us press. Would we have one sorrow less? All the sharpness of the cross. All that tells the world is lost. Death and darkness and the tomb. Only whisper till he come. See the feast of love is spread. Drink the wine and break the bread. Sweet memorials till the Lord calls us round his heavenly board. Some from earth, from glory some, severed only till he come. We look forward to that when he comes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in the words of another lovely hymn. So let us just remember the Lord in his death. Let us pray. Lord, we just come with the words of this lovely hymn to remember you and your death for each one of us. According to thy gracious word in meek humility, this will I do, my dying Lord. I will remember thee. Thy body, broken for my sake. My bread from heaven shall be. The cup of blessing I will take. And thus remember thee. When to the cross I turn mine eyes and rest on Calvary. O Lamb of God, my sacrifice, I must remember thee. Remember thee and all thy pains and all thy love to me. Yea, while a breath, a pulse remains, will I remember thee?